Welcome to Rushcast. My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for downloading our podcast or streaming our podcast, however you are listening. We uh, we like having you here, so welcome. Today we're doing something uh, like a little tiny bit different, right? We've been doing our 2016 album series since January now, and we're getting up into the mid-90s, and chronologically speaking, our next album that has to do with Rush is Victor by Alex Lifeson, the only solo album that Alex has done. And uh, I want to talk about it because I ha- I actually have Rush friends who 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 don't even like haven't heard this <laughs> or haven't heard it all the way through or or whatever. And I I I sort of um, have been longing to talk about this in depth with somebody. And uh, admittedly, I'm not I'm still not uh, I'm still not great at this album in terms of being a listener <laughs> you know when 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 i run into somebody on the street with a rush shirt on and they're like oh i absolutely love grace under pressure uh how does distant early warning go again how does it go like that that's how that's me for this record i like it but i guess not enough to know how half of them <laughs> even sound you know so i listened to it this week and um we're gonna talk about it for an entire episode it'll be great uh, this is our false eyelashes episode. Hashtag, hashtag false eyelashes. I want to see that on Twitter, please. So I'm bringing in a guest that we've had on the show before because uh, he's sort of my go-to guitar expert uh, on Rushcast, even though we've had some guitarists on who had a lot of really good insight. Brandon Dyke has been somebody who uh, I talked to on like way, way back when the show was still called Permanent Waves. Uh, we we talked to Brandon Dugan. How you doing, Brandon? Jay, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show again. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Thanks for coming back, man. And I'm glad somebody was, uh, not to say no one else was, but I'm glad that you were on board with coming on and talking about Victor because, oh yeah, you know, it is, I think, an eccentric album, to say the least. Indeed. A very, very powerful album, too. Now, we're, I, I can't remember when you were a fan or, or, or your history. So were you, do you remember this release? Yes, I do. Actually, I was going to mention that. I mean, right after the Counterparts tour, which I attended in Florida, um, 1994, uh, I, guess the, I guess the band probably finished that tour like around May, 94. And right around that time, I was uh, basically um, about to start my senior year of high school after that. Um, I guess Getty had his daughter then. Um, You know, Neil was uh, actually doing the Burning for Buddy project um, during that time. Right. And he had a lot of the collaborations with, you know, Steve Smith and 
Rod Morgenstein and, and, you know, all those guys. Um, also, I guess during that time, uh, Alex actually had his, uh, club open up in, in uh, Toronto, Canada called the Orbit Room. Mm-hmm. That was going on. Uh, Neil was, Neil was, uh, taking lessons from Freddie during that time, Freddie Gruber, the, uh, the, um, jazz drummer Yoda, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, so, so all that was kind of happening at the same time as I was entering my senior year of high school, I became a fan in 1990 and heard moving pictures for the first time. And I was blown away. So I went at the time and bought all the tapes. (laughs) So I, you know, during that time, I had all the tapes, and um, I remember uh, the CD being the 1990s thing. I mean, and I remember getting that album on CD, Victor, when it came out um, in 96. So, so, I mean, it was... It's funny how it says it, it, it was recorded in 94 and 95 and released in yeah. January 96. Like, this record took a long time. Yeah, it was 18 months. 18 months on this record. Um and so, you know, Getty was taking a break after Counterparts tour and obviously becoming a, a um, father of a, of a daughter. Um, and basically, Neil was busy doing his um, uh, Burning for Buddy projects and as well as reinventing his whole entire playing style during that time. So, you know, during this time, there was a lot happening for the guys. And I think... Alex was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, he didn't really want to sit around and do nothing for, not that he would be doing nothing. He would be working on his golf game. We all know it, (laughs) but, but, you know, he, he, he felt like he needed to do something. I guess he had a few um, ideas turning for a long time and, and finally he had the time to do it. So that's kind of how Victor started was getting, um, you know, together. And at the time, I think, um, uh, Alex did a project. He did some projects with Tom Cochran, the uh, you know Canadian artist, and that's where he met um, his friend Bill Bell. And Bill Bell is now the uh, lead guitar player for Jason Mraz. Uh-huh. So yeah, man. So he tours with him and everything, and so him and him and Al are like really good friends. And apparently they co-wrote a lot of these songs together on Victor. Um, yeah, it's funny how much of a collaboration this record is because yeah. we don't see that with Rush very often. Exactly. But not to this right. extent. And, and it's, it's a much more common thing with other groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. And I think this time, I think he was really wanting to have a, have a statement. But not only that, I mean, he from every interview, from every reference that I've studied, he didn't really want to want the album to be, Hey, look at me play guitar. He wanted, he wanted to kind of expand all of his many talents across the album and make it more of a team effort. Even, even as far as naming the group of guys that were involved, um, uh, with the project and almost making them into the Victor band, if you will, you know? Yeah. So, and of course, he got a hold of, um, at the time, uh, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. Yeah. Actually was, you know, lives, lives not too far from Toronto. And he, um, he was actually talking about him of 
you know, and actually Sebastian stopped by the studio and laid down um, vocals on Promise, actually, the song. And um, later on, after uh, Alex got a hold of Edwin from I, Mother Earth, I, Mother Earth, I apparently uh, opened up for Rush on the last few um, uh, concerts in uh, Toronto. And so, you know, Edwin and him had become friends, and he just really, really thought he had a nice voice, and he had this particular menace to his voice. So I think at first, Alex didn't know exactly how he was going to have the vocal part of the album um, taken care of. So he, it, it's not that he didn't like Sebastian's um, take on Promise. I, I felt he thought it was really, you know, great as a lot of people would, you know, just know that he would, he would do a great job. But I think in the end, he wanted one male vocalist on the whole entire project. And Edwin from I Mother Earth um, definitely was the one that he felt more like would fit the album the best. So it was more of like an artistic decision. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a neat little foreshadowing. Um, and then, I just, yeah. I just think Sebastian Bach, and the only thing I know about him is from the yeah. documentary. I just think uh-huh. he is the one of the most like interesting characters I've ever seen. I just like yeah. watching him do him. You know what I mean? Uh, what, yeah, my he, favorite line from the documentary, uh, which was something like, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> getting down to some <laughs> literature, mother trucker. Like that was right. The line. Right. Exactly. And it's he, such a funny really line. animated guy. He definitely is a really animated guy. And of, of course, when you're a performer like that, you got to have that charisma, you know? So <laughs> I think it comes down to that, you know? And, and so I, I think over that period of 18 months, obviously Alex was working on it every day, every day going into his studio. And, you know, if you think about the credits on this album, um, you know, Alex mixed this record. A lot of people don't realize that he mixed it. Um, him and Bill Bell engineered it from my understanding of everything that I studied. Um, the album was mastered by Bob Ludwig, who's like one of the great mastering engineers around. Um, and, and then the artwork, this is such a cool story. Um, Andrew McNaughton, you know, rest in peace, Andrew. From what I understand, he was a dynamite guy. Um, but he did the artwork on this record and basically took a bunch of different photographs of Alex where he had makeup on, he had water on his face, and he had, like, different, I think, like, different um, types of hairdo and stuff like that in each picture. Well, the story goes is he actually spilled coffee on his... Um, prototype or whatever, or, or one of the last stages of the graphics. And he was like, oh, what the heck? Let's just go with <laughs> the coffee stain. That's, I never noticed and it. That's so, exactly yeah, what yeah. it is. Look at, the, look at the artwork of this album. is incredible. So then he tops it off with a couple cigarette burns in various places, and they thought it was so great. And that, <laughs> that right there is so Alex. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you have, you know, he is all about... And in his solo is just the first or second take, you know, because he wants it to be of the moment. He wants it to have this organic type of thing. And it, I just thought that was so neat, the story behind the artwork. So, And 
definitely got to give props to to um um you know Andrew, and uh, sad that he is not with us any longer. Of so, yeah. But anyways, that's that's some foreshadowing. The orbit room that um, Alex owns. There there was also a, a house band called the Dexters. Mm-hmm. Okay, and at that time. They wanted Alex to be like the fifth member of the band and just kind of fill in parts here and there. And that that was a way for them to actually have kind of some um, publicity to open up the club and stuff. And, and to this day, from what I understand, um, Al is there from time to time, always, you know, if he's in Toronto, he's probably there once a week, you know, if, and if not more. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But that that's what was going on during the start of the um project as far as that goes so yeah you know it's for me a younger fan like that that really clears it up brandon because i always thought yeah you know is this you know is this a scary time to be a rush fan like let's back <laughs> up we go presto we go roll the bones yeah. and weird things are happening musically and then finally yes. we get counterparts and which in my opinion was uh a little bit of a rebirth yeah you know, not oh, yeah. not to you know that doesn't demean anything. That's not a knock on any of the '90s stuff or the, you know, early sure, '90s stuff. Sure, of the '80s but, stuff. Right, right. But uh, you know, in that so finally, in my in my eyes, counterparts must have been a little bit of a, like a light at the end of the tunnel, and <laughs> uh, and now I get Neil going off and doing this thing with the jazz drummer, Getty's starting right. a family. And mm-hmm. Alex is doing a solo record. It's like these three, the trio just split in three different ways. And right, right. What, like, was it well known? Was it, or, or were people sort of bugging out? Well, did you say that the that the album was well known that he was doing this? Uh, I think uh, yeah, it, yeah. Was it like, was it well known that the band was not breaking up? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it was just uh, kind of an understanding that they were on break, and. You know, ever since Hemispheres, I think they really, really reevaluated that they had a season for everything. They needed an, a good extended break in between any sort of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, Getty and Nancy already had their son, by the way, and so this is their second child. So he felt like he wanted to, you know, have time with um, his daughter when she was born and and I'm sure there was other stuff done. I mean, you know, Getty was in the ba- he's still in the baseball, and he's still into other hobbies and stuff. I'm sure he was doing all that, you know, and still playing tennis with Al, and you know, doing what they do, drinking coffee and hanging out. But at the same time, I think it was just that time where uh, Alex knew that this was the right time. He had a, he had what was supposed to be only a year, but then it, it, it extended into a longer period of time. Um, Neil needed some more time on the Burning for Buddy project as well. So I think all that combined, they just extended the, to uh, 18 months. So, yeah. So let's, cool, though. Yeah, let's jump into the tracks here. Absolutely. Let's do it, man. Uh, it, for me, this is a sort of like a, at, a, at a baseline level or kind of only scratching the surface of this album. This is sort of like Roll the Bones for me, right. where the first half is money and the back half, uh-huh. I'm like, what is going on right now? 
Uh, <laughs> now that changed for me for Roll the Bones, which me, and and not to say I don't like the back half of this album, but they're very different. I think um, I do think it's pretty front loaded though. I think the front of the album has the the stronger tracks. So we we open gotcha. up with with Don't Care. And, yeah, exactly. And uh, exactly. there are some themes. Like there, I've read some theories about themes on this album lyrically. Do you know anything about that? Yes, I do. Um, and you know, probably before we start the tracks, I mean, Alex did feel like Victor. The overall essence of the album that ties this together was the dark side of love. Okay, mm-hmm. that was, in his own words, what what he wanted to portray through all of the tracks, through all of everything that he's laying down. And basically, at the time, he was reading um, Winston Auden was a British author. Yep. I mean, you know, poet mainly, right? Yep. And in 1940, he wrote uh, a poem called Victor. And basically, Alex ends up using the, the poem itself in his song Victor. So we'll get to that more in detail later. But the idea of that, is that foreshadows the whole entire essence of what he's talking about lyrically, is that dark side of love, and perhaps the dark side of ourselves as well. And what can actually happen if that love gets distorted or pushes too far, that darker side of love. So Yeah, that's I mean, good to know. Some people are yeah. some people have asked me, like, it was Alex having issues with his marriage? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> well, it's you know, it's, you look at the lyrics and don't care. That. And it's it's funny that you say that. I I I have heard um context from everything that I studied to say that he was observing friends his age as well as his own relationships, and he was trying to put this together in terms like what, I mean, because when you're married for a certain amount of time, that next level of love kicks in, right? Mm. The, the halo effect has worn off. <laughs> nice. And so, and so I, I think he was looking at that in his own life. He was looking at that in all of his friends' lives and everybody. So, there you go. He's got a topic that he can relate to everybody with. And the same thing was happening with this uh, poet, um, W.H. Auden. He, he was in a quest to figure out what love was all about, which is kind of cool. So Alex was reading his poetry at the time, and I think all of this kind of came together at the same time to foreshadow what's happening. So, like you said, don't care. I mean, Obviously, Don't Care is a pretty dark song, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So, I mean, do you I, have I, any thoughts on that? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say, you and I pr- would, I imagine, really enjoy Don't Care for its time signature changes. Yes, because we got 15-4. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, it, and it's cool because you got like a 7-4 accent and then like a 8-4 eight, eight, type of accent. And yep. I love that opening riff. Yep. So And that, you know... Like, I played this for actually. Uh, the listeners will know John Bintz from the a Farewell to Kings episode in the album series uh, in yeah. college. When I I, sh- I said, "Have you heard Victor?" He said, "No." He he said, "Alice Lyson has a, a solo record." I said, "Yeah." Yeah. And I yeah, I exactly. played this, and in within two seconds, he laughed and said, "That's the right. most Alex Lyson sounding l- lick that I've ever heard." And he's like, <laughs> "It just awesome. this whole thing just sounds Alex Lyson." That is so cool, man. Yeah, it's it's a great comparison to some of those, you know. I mean, and rightly so. He's uh, he's basically had so much experience working with the band that 
And a lot of times, you and I both know, sometimes they'll go, hey, let's just subtract a beat here. And everybody make a note of that. And it ends up being 7-4 or whatever. Or you could analyze it a measure of 4-4, a measure of 3-4, however you really want to analyze it. But, yeah, that's exactly right. But the, the cool thing about these lyrics is that it's kind of the darker side of, I would say, the male ego and more specifically towards the sexuality side of it. So it's, I, I think he's almost poking fun at when that goes to a real extreme side of things uh, mentally and when there is no tender love and there's no care in that expression in itself, it becomes very dark and also very selfish and egotistic. I think that's what he was trying to, to paint, a picture of somebody that was just, he just didn't care, right? And I, I think he's painting a picture of that specifically in that particular lyric sure. so yeah and now we move um, on to a tune that i only recently learned in the last few minutes <laughs> is the baddest mother trucker ever <laughs> on vocals yeah yeah exactly um so the uh but but basically that that song um uh i love that 15-4 in there you know and then uh, basically, who was he had a friend named Blake Manning that was a drummer in the Toronto area, I believe, and he played drums on the track. And Edwin from uh, I Mother Earth, definitely his vocals, you can tell. He starts off with a real dark track. I mean, one could say that maybe the second track would be a, a good choice to start with only because of the drums kicking in. And then that beautiful Alex Lifeson arpeggio, right? Yeah. But in a sense, I almost think that he waited for promise because he wanted to have this opening track be like something different than that that would remind you of Rush. You know what I mean? I mean, definitely the time signature reminds you of Rush. But I think this one definitely, he wanted to say, hey, this might be a dark record, so hold on. Yeah, buckle <laughs> so, your seatbelts. Yeah. Uh, so. You know... The the middle section of Promise is again yeah. a very stereotypical Alex sound. Something I would That's expect right. from Alex Lifeson. Very uh, spacey and uh, soundscapey and and completely buried in reverb. You know, it's and it does yes, sound love that. improvisatory a bit, like you were saying, maybe like a first take or something. Exactly, and it's funny. Um, I love the four uh, four feel of Promise. And that awesome clean tone arpeggio, and there's a lot of like layered guitar, like we were talking about on our last episode, the Alex Lyson episode, right? Um, but the cool thing is, is that little riff that he ties in between the vocal phrases of the verses, it's in five four, and we're thinking, yes, another time signature that we can hold on to, um, and I love that because it builds this tension between the phrases, and as a listener, you're kind of like, okay, I just swallowed this idea. And now I got this tension and I'm kind of supposed to feel not settled with it. And then another nice line. Yeah. And then again, the 5-4 riff again. So I, I, I think it's brilliant how they put that phrasing in, in the middle of the verse like that. Pretty cool. Um, and you were mentioning that ambient breakdown. I mean, that part right there, according to the liner notes, may some of that stuff may be Bill Bell because... It says black hole guitar. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So on the credits, that that some of that stuff may be Bill 
um, but it doesn't really tell you specifically. So, you know, when you have Al on the show, let me know, and I want to hear what he says. About yeah, that. I'll totally let you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I. So. Yeah, that's it. Would be cool to ask Bill too, because maybe you're right. Maybe that's you know, maybe that's not even him. I could be wrong. Yeah, that's right, and and that's what I've wondered for years when I would you know read the clips and stuff. Um, but it does sound very Alex licensed, so you would think that it it definitely would be him, but you right. never know. At the very least, <laughs> it's stylistic. Um, exactly. So. Start today is is maybe like my number one, or was when I first heard it. I thought this is this is just. This is my favorite, and I remember yeah, playing it for my track. dad, who hadn't heard the record yet, and he said, geez, do you think they, they were trying to sound like Rush <laughs> with this <laughs> yeah, singer? exactly. You know, the singer is very Getty-esque, especially with the super wide, super fast vibrato at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the chorus, but the opening right. riff is just everything I want in a riff, and yeah. it sort of reminds me of uh, virtuality a little bit. Yeah, I can kind of see that test for echo um, sound in there a little bit, you know, definitely. And it's in six four too, right? So you've got, you know, you've got kind of the 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 faster six four. And you were talking about that on another episode, on I double think it was the last episode. You're talking about the three four and how they would phrase together four and then a two in in, in three four time and, and that stuff is great you know yeah double agent does so. the same thing so it's like a fast six or a, over a big three like you were saying and exactly it's, maybe exactly. this is maybe that's suggesting this is you know not to say alex invented that but maybe that's where uh that sound comes from in rush maybe that's alex's uh thing but that's right man and um you know and you've got like You've got some really good riffs in there, and I love the clean tone guitars in the verse parts. They're just so crystal clear, and they're panned just right in the mix. And I just love, I love to hear that verse. <laughs> um, Dalabello, Dalabello, uh-huh. she's a, you know, her name's Lisa, I believe, but that she goes by her last name. What an amazing vocalist, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, so her it's vocal a re- performance on that is stellar. Do you know what, what her like what the rest of her career is like? Like what kind of style does she sing in normally? It says uh, you know, alternative I mean, rock, metal, hard rock, but that doesn't yeah. really mean anything. Yeah, I mean, and some of her earlier stuff, I believe she was around since like the late seventies. I want to say seventy eight, uh, and I might be wrong on that, but but I remember her. Um, around during that time and and you know honestly i didn't even know who she was until i heard this record mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know and and i i think she can she's a great singer great artist so yeah maybe she was bigger in canada maybe that's i don't know yeah yeah i think i know she's canadian so you just never know and it's kind of kind of sad i mean now i mean we take it for granted that we've got the internet because like everybody knows who everybody is and you know and it's like it's we're almost spoiled in a way. Uh, the the chorus of this song, uh, you can't pay. Yeah, yeah. Clear your mind of those things gone by. You can't change the past by even try. Alex is playing. Yeah. Alex leaves so, or I assume the guitarist <laughs> leaves so much space with that nice clean sound. You're not very busy. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of lets the rest of the group do their thing in that moment before we get to that completely metal riff. Yeah, and it's great. If I recall, it's got like a nice quarter note driving cymbal thing that just yep. pushes that part 
and then it's just it's a great i love the changes in that song it, it definitely is one of the you know shinier tracks on the album um but the in in more than one way right lyrically too and it's like if you put it in the context of this dark side of love or whatever you you know you kind of have hey let's start over with our relationship today you know and let's start over on working on ourselves so so you get kind of like this victory song in there where it's like all right we're both we're both going to like keep it going you know so i think that's kind of neat um but then i think lyrically it probably can say uh, a bunch of different things to, and if you didn't have the context of what i was saying so we move on to an instrumental which is fitting for somebody in 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 rush <laughs> Uh-huh, and yes. a really cool instrumental is sort of, you know, we get, we don't have any weird time signatures, just a nice, like, laid-back 4-4, four, four, and yep. a, a tune that really just, it grooves and, and does what it needs to do. Yes, it does. And I, I, I would say it's really cool, and I love Les Claypool from Primus, who's actually on that track yeah. playing bass, and I love his little filler stuff. I, I love the actual... Um, synthy type of thing that's played at the very beginning and then Les has got these little you know little little tiny blues licks right yeah yeah I thought that was so great and then um uh there's a nice lead guitar melody that 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 picks up the tune and then it's neat you would think that he's going to go into another melody but then he kind of goes into more of like a straight ahead solo and then it goes into that B section, and it, like, climbs up. It's like, you know, the, the chord progression is kind of walking up. And then it goes into another solo, and you're like, yeah, man. Yeah, right. Like, um, this is what Alex thinks instrumentals should be. You know, just it's just uh, an exercise in guitar. But, yeah, it's got a, a little bit of synth, I think, with those chord changes yep. moving up, you know. Uh, I think yep. it's a nice, collectively, it's a nice wash of sound that sort of creates this, a landscape image in my head. Like Absolutely. you're on top of a mountain or something, you're looking out. Like that's yeah. especially on Test for Echo and Counterparts with the guitar sound. I think that's what Alex really dialed in nicely. Was that ability? Yeah. To create, I call it a soar. It, it's a soaring guitar sound. Like on the speed yeah. of love, the the solo in the speed of love, he's soaring somehow. I don't know how he creates it, but uh, yeah. Mr. X does that well too. That's exactly right. I totally agree with you. Mr. X, I think, is a great track. Now. I have tried to come up with why they called it Mr. X, you know? Okay. So we're going to have to ask Al on that one, but... Yeah. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll keep a list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just make a list. And if any of the listeners know, please tell us, because for some reason I could not locate that. So well, who's, the, who's Mr. X? <laughs> in general, this record is like, it's hard to find anything about. You know, you've done... You've already gone right. way above what I thought we'd be able to do together. Because <laughs> well, I appreciate that. There's there's not much on it. I don't know if it didn't get a lot of press when it was released or if it fell through the cracks somehow, as Getty says, but, you know, it's hard. Yeah, yeah I mean, apparently they had, you know, they had Ray Daniels marketing the album, and it was on Atlantic Records, I believe, and there's also the, uh, you know, they had, he uh, Alex was talking about, um, good reviews he was he was really surprised not not that he doubted himself but he was really uh you know from rush's history a lot of times with reviews um he was really happy to see good reviews more or less so that's really cool 
The next track is, is this the one that has the weird, weird, like 2112-y kind of synth sound? Yes, it does, actually. At the end is definitely, um, pro- most likely, you know, inspired by the poem Victor in, the, in another way as well. But I think here's a track that Alex does a genius spoken word on, right? Yeah. And you've got that synth part of the beginning that just all of a sudden just makes you think. If you're driving and you're listening to this album, you're like, you're glued to that um, sonically. <laughs> And and then there's a percussion there, which is actually played on uh, darbuka, or which is like kind of a djembe type of thing, kind of a Middle Eastern drum. Um, so for that intro, and the guy, the same guy that plays drums, Blake Manning, is also playing that. Um, but yeah, and I guess Bill Bell and Edwin from I Mother Earth are doing background vocals on that. So pretty cool but this is also a track that um uh adrian is on i was just gonna say it's his son correct that's right who gets gets credited on a few tracks on the album yes he does and at the time alex was saying he was just starting to play guitar a little bit and he was saying he was he's 18 when he was on this record and you know he was a little bit secretive of his playing so al would sometimes go around the house and sneak around and hear him and and uh, he, he really had a lot of good things about his uh, guitar playing as well, which is cool. It's hard for me to, uh, I mean, this track for me is the big turning point on the record when you listen from front <laughs> to back, where it's suddenly like, oh, this is going to be very different. And Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, like right from the, the start of the track. But it's it's yeah. sometimes hard for me to take Alex seriously when I hear him talking. Like it's a spoken word thing, and it's, it's him. But when I hear him talk, it's yeah. usually... In a joking yeah. manner, blah blah blah. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, you're just thinking about the Al that you know from his humorous side that makes everybody laugh. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And I and I, and I know what you're saying, and I think um I think he, but I think as far as it being like a beatnik type of you know saying, I think the sound of his voice is just you're just glued to it, almost like you were listening to some you know Vincent Price type of thing or something like that you know to me it just has a really good it has a really good storyline i mean it is a tragedy um this person was married to someone he loves for so long and then at the end of the story he commits suicide so that's you know that's really dark yeah but i i think what he's trying to show there is the power of love and how much you know this person loved his wife and just the loss of that and then what it can make you do um just that darker side so i mean it is a tragedy but i think it was well done and well put together musically and how it kind of how it just kind of highlighted what his storyline was um my favorite i have to say this because my favorite stuff on that song is his telly licks it sounds to me like he's playing a telly on that i know he was playing prs he had a, a lot of his prs on the album as well as his marshals and his high watts. Um, but to me, it, I can tell at the end of the song, I don't know if you remember this, but after the last lyric is said, it dives down and it's just Alex and Michele. And, it, and he's pinching it with his thumb and his index finger. I can hear it. It's not, he's not playing with a pick and it's just kind of spanky sounding. 
and oh man, the tone on that was just phenomenal. And his playing, just utterly beautiful and in the moment. So yeah, that's a moment I can't recall. Like I, I can't hear it yeah. right now. But I, yeah, I, I want to look back into to that. that ending. Do that when you when you you know after we leave our little session here. Check it out because it really is amazing playing. And I, every time I hear that track, I can't wait to hear that part. <laughs> you know, uh, I was going to ask you about gear. I, I had forgotten before we started yeah. or at the beginning because uh, yeah. I know you're 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 good with that stuff. And I Thank I'm you. not surprised to hear he was using essentially what he used on the record before and after counterparts and test for echo marshals yeah. prs uh-huh that and that's for the most part what he's playing on this record yeah yeah definitely definitely paul reed um you know i don't know for sure just because i also don't know what if bill was playing alex's guitars or if bill yeah. had some of his own guitars or i mean you know i'm friends with david barrett from the david barrett trio and you know alex lets him borrow his you know, double neck for for a series of months or almost a year. And, you know, and he's, you know, produced the David Barrett trio. So they're pretty good friends. I think they met through uh, his son, Justin. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, you, you don't really know exactly the guitar, but it, to me, that ending part definitely sounds like that telly and I can definitely hear a lot of that telly stuff on the next album and also on uh, Counterparts. Well, what's funny is, I you know, when I think of, or when I hear like that telly sound, I think of the next track. The opening sounds like a telly to me. What about you? We get the, you know, we come out of this super eccentric track at the end, uh, is yeah. the name of the track, and then we go right back into 5-4 and a weird time signature and a nice groove and tune. <laughs> exactly. Sending out no, a warning. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think you're probably right by that, so... Uh, sending out a warning was mm-hmm. s- sort of like, uh, you know, if, if at the end was the nasty tasting medicine, this was the, this was the spoonful of sugar, you know, like not to say <laughs> the last one was bad, but it, it was just a little bit of like a, a breath of fresh air. Like, Oh, okay. We're, we're back to something that's a little more digestible. Uh, that's right. That's right. I, I, I think if you're a rush fan, you can definitely swallow, you know, uh, sending out a warning. Um, it, I love that opening 5-4 fuzz guitar riff, if you want to call it that. It almost sounds... I remember him saying in an interview that they were cranking the amps up so much to make things fall off the wall. And to me, when I hear that tone and sending out a warning, it sounds like they were cranked, and it sounds like he got that fuzz tone from just driving the tubes. <laughs> and just just great. Um, and then you got a nice, good, punchy bass tone as well in that one that i'm sure you definitely appreciate totally yeah i know alex, yeah, alex played some bass on this record i know I, i'm not uh, like ex- yeah. sure exactly what tracks it says here Les yeah. Claypool was on the big dance as well yes exactly and i think on sending out a warning i think it was um alex playing the bass parts uh-huh. on that on that track so yeah well one of my cool. favorite bass par- bass parts bass moments on this record is in the next track shut up shutting up i know such a funny tune and it's a great way to get everybody involved too and it's it's the bass has got some nice moments and some nice fills at the end where alex is starting to say some things to the women yep. 
uh, the bass kind of goes nuts at the end for just a couple yeah, measures. I, I love that little, I know the fill you're talking about, and I love that. Peter Gard, uh, Peter Cardinelli, I yeah. think is his name, and he was the bass player from the Dexters. Oh, I was, was going to say, yeah. who is this guy? He doesn't have a Wikipedia page. He doesn't. He's not on the <laughs> internet. Who is he? Yeah, he still plays, I guess, with the Dexters. Perhaps now, I'm not 100 percent sure, but they still play at the Orbit Room in Toronto. They're nice. still kind of considered the uh, the house band there. So, you know, when I heard the when I heard the album for the first time, I knew Les Claypool was on it, <laughs> and I heard this track and went, "Oh, well, that's Les Claypool." <laughs> you know, yeah, it yeah, is sort exactly. of his style. Right, right, and I think it's cool. Um, do you know the the other personnel behind this tune? Do you know that Charlene, his his uh, wife, is on this? Char- I know it's Charlene, but I don't know the other person. Yes, the other lady is her good friend named Esther, okay. and apparently Al just like thinks she's a character, like she's hilarious. <laughs> and he was he basically said, "Look, we got we all had uh, a few glasses of wine." And they came into the studio and they wrote these ideas <laughs> that that women talk about about men and some of the things that you know that that just almost irritate them and 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 they had so much fun with that in the studio they they just kind of like voiced over these this conversation between the two of them and then like you said um, Al comes in at the end and he just is. Telling him, he's screaming at him, shut up, shutting up, and all this. <laughs> and they're like, and I love it when they say, just play the guitar, and he goes into a killer solo. Yes, he I mean, shreds. That solo is and, nice. And let's let's take a step back and look at this song, <laughs> and, and like forget yeah. how silly it is for a second, and just realize this is a song that has verses, essentially spoken word verses, and yep. the chorus is a guitar solo. Like there's there's no like main vocal part. The chorus, the main part of the tune is just Alex playing his guitar. Exactly. And it's wah as well. And yep. I just I'm like, man, that's that's really awesome. I really like that track. And I and I think it was great. It was a great uh place to put it about the halfway mark of the record, perhaps, you know? Yeah. And I and and you know, I will say that I do like the track flow of this record. Some people disagree with me, but I really do like how it flows. I think it does have a really the, kind of the album as a whole. Feel. You mean? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pretty cool tune there. It's very entertaining. Yeah, this one I think is super digestible. Like this didn't take take me any time. Like, and it had the humor I come to expect from Alex too. So in a way, this right. was just a, a really hard rocking tune. No weird time signatures, just straight ahead and, you know, pretty clear what the lyrics are um, trying to tell you. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. And uh, the false eyelashes is my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite. That? The false eyelashes is my favorite verse. Oh, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's so much funny stuff on there. I mean, it's almost like every woman should hear that just to just to <laughs> have some have some bolts to throw at us or something, you know? <laughs> we move on to Strip and Go Naked. Yeah, man. So Strip and Go Naked, um, the uh, kind of kind of story behind that is Bill Bell, the uh, other guitar player on the album, uh, basically um, Alex would call him Pookie, I think. That was like his nickname. But basically he made up this drink and he called it Strip and Go Naked, basically. <laughs> okay. And yeah, and so it's kind of funny, like, 
um, he basically said, you know, after you've had a couple, you basically want to do that or that or that's what's happening or whatever. And then um, they also thought that it would um, tie in to what the song was about as far as stripping the whole very basic elements down and stuff like that. So they, they wanted it to kind of, you know, say something personally to them, but, you know, you would, you would just kind of wonder, you know, what's this title all about type of thing. So pretty cool. I, what I like about this track another instrumental is that it, it's got, uh, it, it's got contrast, right? So the, I guess the verses, if you want to call it that are yeah. so he- like, they're pulling back on the reins so hard, you know, there's not, exactly. it's not super high energy and it. And it's kind of like, it tickles in a way. Like, uh, they're sort of teasing you. It's got some humor in the sound that, Hey, you know, we know we're doing this. We know it sounds like low energy. That's by design. And, exactly. and then we finally get that release with this weird, like the drum pattern is sitting on weird beats and, and it's a really cool kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, and it's like there's a, there's nice guitar playing in there as far as the lead guitar stuff, and then um, cool thing about that is there's some slide guitar on that track too, and Alex actually pulls out the mandola, which he plays on other albums and stuff too, kind of that string instrument that he has uh-huh. that he likes. Is this um, is this the thing he plays? Because uh, I don't know what a mandola is. Is it from Working Them Angels? Uh, yeah, I believe that was on a uh, few other tracks on Vapor Trails, and you know, if we if we if we went back and looked up all the credits, you'd probably see it on a few other tunes. Yeah, I've totally seen it um, in in um, the liner notes before of other albums. It, exactly, and I I can't off the top of my head I can't recall every tune, but I know he does use it quite a bit. It's it's a nice little sound. I guess you have like, you know, uh, eight strings on it. Yep. I believe, and there's like an octave higher on each string, kind of like a 12-string type of thing, but the body shape is different. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so, uh, I mean, a wonderful acoustic tone from that as well coming through the mix. But that that's a really good instrumental. I like that one a lot, but that's the story behind it. <laughs> it was a drink name that they made up, that Bill Bell made up. The big dance, to me, sounds like it could be down-tuned or something. Like, it, it it's got... It's got like some balls to it, you know what I mean? In the guitar sound, it takes a little while to get there. Yeah, are, are you talking about strip and go naked, or are you talking about the, the, this uh, is big the dance? the big dance? The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the yeah, I, I mean, th- there definitely could be a lot more uh, guitar overdubs in the tuning. I mean, there, there was definitely. I know Alex did guitar, vocals, keyboards, programming. And also Adrian, and this is the second song that Adrian also helped out with the programming. Um, so there's no talent. I've never really tried to play this song. Um, this song, this song to me almost has um, uh, a really, really dark feel to it. You know? Yeah, it gets um, very dark very fast. Yeah, and 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 it's almost like um, like I would say, uh, like almost like in a tool way. You know, because I know Al likes Tool a lot, and oh yeah, 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 good, good call. Yeah. This has a Tool sort of sound to it. D- does that make sense? And yeah. I think the vocal, the vocals are more uh, aggressive in this track. There's more uh, menace in his voice, and um, 
it's I, I think it's well done, and we also again see Les Claypool on the base. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's a good low end there as well. But yeah, I haven't I haven't tried to play it, so I'm not sure if it's detuned or not. But yeah, I'm not I'm not either. I'm just or it might just be <laughs> a, like a, sort of a testament to the sound, like how heavy they got the sound to be. Maybe it's not detuned. I'm not sure. Right. So now we move right. on to the title track. Victor. Yes. Yeah. This um this song, I mean, like I said before, the um Winston Auden basically wrote this poem in nineteen forty. And you know, you have these characters, really three main characters in the poem, and you have Victor himself, who's raised in kind of an extreme religious environment, perhaps, mm-hmm. judging from the poem. And uh, he meets this girl named Anna, and the halo effect takes over, you know, and he falls in love with her. And then the idea of his own delusions kind of come to haunt him because he has an illusion of her committing an adultery, and, and maybe perhaps nothing really ever did happen, but it's in his own mind. And it's it's basically dealing with, you know, uh, how he perhaps was raised to interpret the Old Testament and how that was twisted in his mind to um, to kill her, basically. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think the poem is pretty much the essence of the whole album, how sometimes the darker side of love can can get you to do things that you would never do because it's such a powerful thing. You 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 love this person so much and you know or so called love and all the all the time you are there's things in your mind that can play tricks on you and maybe things never really truly happen but the perception of your reality changes the outcome of what you do and it's really interesting during the time of the uh of the poem uh the actual poet Auden himself um, is fairly libertarian, but he ends up dabbling with Episcopal, um, you know, religion, or it's Christianity, but just the the essence of that denomination. And I think he uh, was inspired by his mom's, uh, you know, faith, perhaps. So, um, but during that time, I think he uses all these biblical uh, metaphors, and not only that, but um, allusions, perhaps, and when Victor actually kills the girl, he starts quoting from the New Testament from what Jesus would say. And I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the Son of Man, the Resurrection and the Life. And I think what the poet's trying to show you is that there is this moral obligation that he feels that he needs to judge her because she was unpure to him. And he actually uses um, Helen of Troy her story, and also um, uh, Jezebel from the Bible, from the book of First Kings and Second Kings. So it's, it's an interesting way of painting this tragedy. It's almost like Shakespeare in a way, but in, in a poem. And I believe um, I, at the end of the poem, uh, he is left with what he refers to as a woman of clay, which is just pretty much an, a whole irony of tragedy of like, you know, Anna has to play, 
pay the price for Victor's disillusion. And the clay is kind of the symbol of uh, the love that Victor craves. Because in the first part of the poem, it seems like his father just taught him all these extreme rules and he didn't really love him or he didn't show him love. And it's kind of neat how the poet actually ties in um, months of the year and the seasons to kind of paint a picture of stuff that's cold and stuff that's perhaps warmer. And, you know, I don't want to spend all your time on just the analysis of that poem, but man, there's a lot more there if you want to, if you want to dig for it, but that's sort of the essence. It's amazing how deep this gets like so so quickly at the end of this record. Yeah. You know, and to to tell you the truth, it really opened my eyes on um, Auden too, a great poet. And I've never really sat down and looked at his life and I've, you know, since had fun doing that. So it was kind of neat. But yeah, that, so you can see why Alex takes the narrative and I think he uses all but eight lines in the original poem. Um, perhaps I didn't line up with the music the right way or he wanted to condense certain parts. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it, I think the main point of the poem is that, you know, love can drive you to do to madness, to utter madness. And with the poet, with the poet, he was always looking for, this idea of time and somebody has to pay the price for our loss of happiness. And that makes a lot of sense when you put that in perspective of the poem, but it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. (laughs) So, well, is the next track any less crazy to you? (laughs) Is it, is it what, does it mean anything to me? Is Is it any less crazy? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it is. I think I am spirit is, I, I kind of I kind of like that song as a way to end the record. It's it to me it kind of has this uh, almost like a James Addiction sound to it. You know, I don't want to pigeonhole a, a certain band into it, but it does remind me of kind of James Addiction thing. Um, so kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I mean this whole this whole record is just. I'm I'm amazed at how much I've learned about it just just in this episode and and that I really had underestimated uh, how much how like how in depth it is and how serious it is. Yeah, and I think that's pretty cool because most of the time you think of Al being you know the funny guy that he is, but he's very intelligent and you know very smart and likes to read and likes to you know he's obviously a great artist. Mm. And he likes to to find connections in life to art. Um, I I do want to mention one thing really fast. And I hear it. There's an awesome kind of like spirit of radio style pull off lick in the chorus part of that song that I really like. So listen for that the next time you hear the record to check it out. You know. Oh word! Yeah, that's a that's a nice kind of uh, throwback yeah. in a way. Uh huh. Exactly, and then it goes into like this this bridge where they have like whispering and stuff. It's, I like the way that that plays out and how that builds back up and everything. So, so you, you think it's a good record then? I think it's a great record. I think, you know, what you have to do is, you know, for me, every rush album is a great album. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to give you a bad album, mm-hmm. but what you have to do is you have to do the work. You have to find out the process of the formula of the record and, and, and try to find, this is how I listen to this rush album. 
you know, anything from Hold Your Fire to Hemispheres. Those are two separate, different albums, like you were saying the other night, you know. It's like apples and oranges, but there's there's a different formula at play. There's a different thing that kind of moves them to write music in that in that time. So I would say that I don't think they've ever made a bad record. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, and I have to, you know, wave the flag of, of uh, Caress of Steel because I love that album. So. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to wave it. I waved it as best I could. I know you did. Ago. You did a great job. I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it, brother. So... Yeah, that's really cool. But yeah, I mean, such a great album, and I can't think of anything else that that should be said other than the fact that I think it's really great that Alex Lifeson, still on his solo project, is a team player. You know, he didn't want it to be, hey, um, I'm Al Lifeson, and I just want to play all these notes in your face. You know, because <laughs> it, I I think he felt he had nothing to prove. And but I think what he did learn from this record was I can do all of this myself if I wanted to, yeah. right? Because he did he did the mixing, he did he was he had a huge part in the artwork with um, Andrew. Um, I mean the list goes on what he did, and he spent hours a day. I think he said he would go down in the basement and get coffee, and then not come out of the studio until like seven o'clock, you know. <laughs> So he put in long hours on this album. So he was like committed to getting this done. And if anybody heard it and liked it, great. But if not, I think it was a really good, um, he did, he did it for himself, you know, which right. was even more powerful. So it's, yeah. a, it's a, I like how in the liner notes, it says Alex Lyson, guitar, bass, mandola, keyboards, programming, yeah. vocals, yelling. <laughs> Yeah, that's Alex. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome, and I know the album. Um, he dedicated to Charlene, his wife, for her inspiration, spirit, and love and support. And then there's also I would love to find out in memory of Randy Knox. I would imagine that was one of his friends that perhaps passed on. Um, I'm only speculating, but it would be nice to find that out as well. Yeah, yeah. So. It, you know, it'd be funny if if I had the opportunity to talk to Alex. Like, is Victor something I'd ask? <laughs> you know, like, now we have yeah, all these questions so we want to... You know, but Victor isn't... Like I said, like, it's not covered. You know, there's not a lot of info on it. You can you can right. Google moving pictures and read for weeks. <laughs> I know, you know that, man. It's true. It's, it's, it's almost... Yeah, I don't ever want to say overstated because I love moving pictures. There's yeah. no way I would say that. But, but yeah, there, there's not a lot out there on Victor, and you kind of have to do the work, you know, and I'm glad we had this episode because now there, I mean, I probably didn't add any more to what is out there, but at least somebody could listen and hear it all in one place. So, yeah, I thought, I thought you did a great job of kind of <laughs> sending it in and I don't know where you got some of that info. So, uh, I thought you did yeah. great. Yeah. Hey, where, it, where can we find your music? Oh gosh. Um, Brandon Dyke.com D Y K E on the last name. Um, you can, pretty much link up to all my rock songs um, on iTunes, Amazon, and stuff. I'm working on a progressive rock album called Headspace, and I've got four rock singles out, um, Sith, You're the One I Can't Live Without, Hindsight, and I also have an acoustic version of Mission from Hold Your Fire. It's a Rush cover, and that song is going to 
basically be the last song on my album. So I'm really happy about that. Um, and then basically, uh, you can find me on Instagram. I, I have one Instagram where I do a lot of these guitar videos and, um, also just anything that moves me for that day and some silly stuff too. And, and I've got a dog named Harley that I love to put out there cause he's a cool guy, uh, you know? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm cool pretty guy. much open book. <laughs> Everyone that knows me, they're like, you're definitely an open book. You're an easy target too. So I heard I am. <laughs> so yeah, you guys can find me there and I would appreciate it for sure. Brandon Dyke. Thanks so much for coming back on, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. If you guys like Victor and you want to talk about Victor, I need to hear from you on Twitter uh, and email Rushcast2112 at gmail.com and at Rushcast2112 on Twitter. Hashtag false eyelashes.